If you want to understand how marketing is changing and how that will affect your brand, you need Future Proof, the podcast from Kantar that tells you how to find growth. Created in conjunction with Side Business School at Oxford University, the Future Proof podcast provides a unique perspective on what truly makes a difference. To understand what's winning in marketing, subscribe to Future Proof, a Kantar podcast now. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. You want to know what the best email marketing service is for your small business? Well, I've got the team for you. EmailToolTester.com is the place to find reviews and tutorials of newsletter services like ActiveCampaign, MailChimp, GetResponse, and many more. Download their free comparison spreadsheet that will help you find the best email marketing service among many providers. Just Google Email Tool Tester Comparison Template to find it. Again, just Google it. Email Tool Tester Comparison Template to find it. You know, I've been talking about earned media value for quite some time on this podcast. My friends at Eisenberg have just raised the bar on earned media benchmarks with their social index. Social index now gives you globally earned media values across a growing list of six geographies for all your KPIs across the top seven social platforms, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Snapchat, TikTok, Twitter, and YouTube. You can now visualize these values for deeper analysis, and they have a look-back window over two years of historical comparisons. Social Index is updated daily. Don't get stuck with old data. Over 1,000 companies have used the Social Index to understand the ROI of their social campaigns. And if you work with a social agency, you should demand they incorporate earned media values into your reports. Get your earned media value for social content. Visit earnedmediavalues.com slash Allen. Again, that's earnedmediavalues.com slash A-L-A-N. For all of us, it's about predicting where the consumer is going and getting half of it right. One of the things we want to do is create ads that don't suck. Embracing change creates great possibility. I'm Alan Hart, and this is Marketing Today. Today on the show, I've got Dr. Emmanuel Probst. He's the author of Brand Hacks, How to Build Brands by Fulfilling the Human Quest for Meaning. On the show today, we talk about meaning and what does he actually mean? And as I was reading this book, there's a lot to take away. There's He basically decomposes all the various elements that and tools and tactics that a brand manager has at their disposal. Kind of goes into depth on each of them. A little bit more about Emmanuel. He's been studying why people buy for 15 years. He holds a doctorate in consumer psychology and teaches market research at UCLA. He also works for Ipsos, advising Fortune 100 clients on how to measure and optimize the impact of their marketing efforts. I hope you enjoy this conversation with my new friend, Emmanuel. Emmanuel, welcome to the show. 
Thank you, Alan, for having me on the show. Really appreciate it. Yeah. Well, and congrats on publishing your book, Brand Hacks, How to Build Brands by Fulfilling the Human Quest for Meaning. I love to start with the person, right? And understand your background a little bit for context. So you wouldn't mind, where did you start your career and, and what was the path to ultimately becoming a book author and a, and a consultant? Oh, thank you. I've been in market research and I'm dating myself, but I've been in the industry for over 15 years. I started in my career in market research in London, in the UK. I lived in the UK at the time. And what brought me to the industry is I'm curious about people and I like to understand why people do what they do and understand how people make decisions as individuals, but also as a community, as a group, as a society. And that is what I really like about the industry. And that's what I've been doing throughout my all my endeavors over the last 15 years. So that's the link between my career in market research and I'm at Ipsos today and my teaching at UCLA and also writing brand hacks. Got it. What prompted you to write the book? Yeah, I think in the marketing and advertising industry, we've been wasting a lot of money. We spend billions of dollars on advertising to try to convince people to buy products. And based on my experience of campaign, advertising campaign measurement and optimization, I know firsthand that a lot of these campaigns just don't work. So what I mean by this is we can drive website visitation, store visitation, purchase in the short run. But a lot of what we're doing as an industry in advertising marketing is not building the brand, is not benefiting the brand. So what prompted me to write the book is I wanted to take a different stance at building brands. That is, instead of doing what we've been doing in the industry for years, that is to push more advertising and to push more marketing down the throat of consumers, let's take a step back, understand what those consumers, what people want to achieve as individuals, and from there, build brands that fulfill these quests for meaning people are on. So the starting point is to say people are not looking for any more products. People are not looking for any more brands. People are not looking for any more advertisement. The starting point is to say people are looking for community. They're looking for personal fulfillment. They're looking to get involved in cultural activities. From there, we can build brands that help fulfill these quests people are on. Got it. Got it. Well, tell me a little bit the notion of you know how to build a brand by fulfilling the quest for you know human quest for meaning. How do you define meaning? I guess is my question. Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, we can clarify for our listeners today. There are some words we use in the industry that are ill-defined, and I will talk about a fad, a trend, and a meaning. So, Alan, for example, most diets are fads because they just don't stay. It's not sustainable. And what I mean by this is it's unlikely that you'd want to eat broccoli uh, for the rest of your life. So diets are fads. They last for a few weeks. A trend is something that lasts longer and that is likely to influence the markets. And a trend would be Pilates or CrossFit. Those are trends whereby you see brick and mortar 
businesses being built around those trends for four, five, six years. And hopefully they're here to stay. And that's not clear yet. A meaning is something that is a lot more profound. A meaning is something that is purposeful and that gives some sense to your life and what you do and make you feel that you're achieving a goal that's bigger than yourself. Got it. Well, the, the word meaning for me, as I thought about it, at first, it, I struggled with it, frankly, because it felt mm-hmm. very mm-hmm. deep in my quest for what the, what's the meaning of life <laughs> kind, of, kind, of, kind of context, right? But I think when you are describing meaning, it's not necessarily, it doesn't have to be that deep, if you will, meaning, like the quest for the meaning of life. It can be just more about how I define myself or what what I need or what I want necessarily. But do I have that right? What's the nuance of it? You you do. Yeah, yeah. You you do. And indeed in the book you find three types of meanings, uh personal, social and cultural meanings. And you're right, it's not as profound as the, the, the meaning of life, but meaning can be literally a mission you're on. And what I mean by this is Discovery and adventure mm-hmm. is meaningful, for example. That is, you want to explore new places, you want to travel. Nostalgia is meaningful. And nostalgia, for example, it means that you like to go back to the past. So you might like neon signs or vinyls or old buildings because this is reassuring and comforting to you. It's meaningful because it brings you back to a time when you didn't have to worry about artificial intelligence, machine learning, and virtual reality. So I hope I'm illustrating well here, Alan, but meaning to your point is uh, something that doesn't have to be as profound as being faith-based or anything like this. Right. No, that that's extraordinarily helpful. So you, you just talked about or highlighted the three types, the personal, social, cultural. Can you tell us a little bit about it each, maybe an example just to help contextualize it? Sure thing, a personal meaning. So three types of meanings in the book, as we just said, personal, social, cultural meanings. Those are the three quests most people are on. And a personal meaning is who do you want, who are you and who do you want to be? And an example of a brand that does well here, I'll take Paco Rabanne. They have a fragrance. They advertise in London, in the UK at the moment. And Really, the advertisement is around, do you want to become sexy? Do you want to become nerdy? Do you want to come across as uh, romantic? And that really illustrates the fulfillment of a quest for for personal meaning. Meaning, who do I want to become? Uh, Social meaning, that is what you do in your interaction with the group. That's a sense of a community. That's what you do with others. And CrossFit is an example here. CrossFit could be meaningful if these facilities foster a sense of community, right? Mm-hmm. If it's just about lifting weight, forget about it. Right. But CrossFit can be meaningful if you have a connection to people who work out with you. And then cultural meaning. So now culture is ill-defined, but the culture is a set of beliefs and the arts and customs and cultural meaning, for example, Airbnb does a great job here, Mm. whereby Airbnb does not provide you with accommodation. 
Of course they do. Of course you get a room, you get a clean bed, that's fine. But most importantly, Airbnb fulfills your quest for discovery and adventure. So that is what's meaningful here. You want to discover some new culture, you want to discover some new places, Airbnb does this for you. In contrast, Marriott and Hilton put chocolates on your pillow. There's nothing wrong with that. A big Marriott client myself, but I'm just illustrating here the difference between fulfilling meaning versus providing you with a commoditized yet excellent, but commoditized service. Mm. Okay. I have it. I have it. And do you feel like there's a priority to those three or can you, as in many of your examples, actually, like they're tapping into one aspect of them? Does that make sense? It does. And I don't think there's a priority. And I also don't think that all meanings work for all brands. Mm. It, there isn't such thing as a one-size-fits-all approach. So we spoke briefly about nostalgia. Mm-hmm. And nostalgia is powerful. It's meaningful for people, again, because it takes you back to a past that feels comforting and reassuring. So if you think about it, nostalgia is excellent in retail. For example, that's how you see neon at Nike in high-end retail like Kiehl's in cosmetics, in very high-end on Fifth Avenue with Tiffany or Chanel. Uh, The point being is nostalgia works very, very well in retail. I would argue it saved urban outfitters. That doesn't mean that nostalgia makes sense in travel and adventure. That doesn't mean that it makes sense in personal care, in technology, and so on and so forth. So my point is, as a brand manager, as an advertiser, you should pick and choose what meanings are most relevant to your brand and what meanings you're most able to fulfill. Got it. Got it. Well, your book is uh, is filled with examples like you just described. And I'm curious, because I've also had on the show um, other folks like uh, Byron Sharp or Kevin mm. Keller, noteworthy in their own regards with the research that they've done in the past. And so I'm just curious, how do you think about the research that you've done and this notion of meaning and brand hacks overall? How do you feel like that squares, if you will, with other thoughts out in the marketplace today? You know, that's a good segue with what we were discussing a minute ago when I said you should pick and choose Mm. what meanings are most relevant to your brand or the ones you're most likely to fulfill. And same thing here. So Byron Sharp, I I love his work, how brands grow. The point we can look at, the, the thing in our industry is people get hooked on a book or some form of thinking for a while and that's where I'm saying there is, a, there is not a one-size-fits-all type of approach. So Byron Shaw, how brands grow, is very relevant, in my opinion, in CPG, for example. Or if you're 7-Eleven, Byron Sharp is his thinking is extremely relevant to you. If you do something more aspirational because you're Ritz-Carlton or your Airbnb or your Las Vegas Convention Bureau, I'm not sure that Byron Sharp is the same, mm. is as relevant to you. You know, conversely, if you think of a book like Start With Why that came out a few years ago, or Love Marks, even older, Kevin Roberts, and that type of thinking, yeah, it applies very well to Southwest Airlines. 
not so much when you're trying to move coffee and breakfast cereals. So the point I'm making is all of them inspired me, Byron Sharp especially, because evidence-based type of book. At the same time, I don't believe that any of these thought leaders are one-size-fits-all, know-it-all type of approach, and I include myself here. I'm saying that Brand Hacks is an inspiration to do things differently. I'm not saying that it should be a single source of truth. And in fact, there is no single source of truth. Right, right. Well, I, I had this similar conversation with uh, with a few folks that I've had on the program. And I agree with you. Like, I think certain instances, certain things work better than others. I do think some things are are able to integrate, right? So, I mean, the big takeaways from Byron would be brand salience or or making sure that you people are aware that you exist. I don't think that that has to necessarily be removed from how do you connect to those people that know that you exist, right? Whether yeah. that's through meaning or some other other way. And so I think I think you can build on some of these. And I, I do, like you said, I do like Byron's work because it's evidence-based. I like your work since it's based on the research that you've done over time as well. And so I applaud your efforts and, and, and thanks for addressing that question because it, it comes up quite a bit in marketing circles, as you know. I'm thinking, Alan, one brand that comes to mind that really mm -hmm. bridges the gap here, if any, uh, yeah. would be Red Bull. And what I mean by this is you look at Red Bull and I think about Byron Sharp and he would argue and rightly so that Red Bull needs to be available. And my point is if I go to 7-Eleven and I want an energy drink and I want Red Bull, but the, the product is not there, there is no way I'm willing to walk more than literally half a block to find another store where the product is going to be available. Right. So that's where I strongly agree with his thinking. And at the same time, Red Bull is a brand, like it or not, that's very meaningful because it has this, uh, this adventure, this uh, risk-taking type of image, if you will, that it. And I feel that just as valuable as the product being available. So in short, Red Bull has a purpose and it fits the start with why thinking it needs to be available and that fits Byron Sharp's thinking and it needs to be salient and it also fulfills a personal meaning and that's brand hacks. Yeah, no, that's a great, that's a great example. That's a great example. And it does, yeah, it's a, it's a great brand because it permeates. I recently didn't even realize how much it's permeated culture because everyone thinks about it as the drink, uh, or at least I do because I, have drank Red Bull on occasion. And by the way, you can't find them in some hotel chains, which drives me crazy. Uh, <laughs> they need to work on their, their, their how brands grow tactic there. But it, it, it is interesting. If you want to understand how marketing is changing and how that will affect your brand, you need Future Proof, the podcast from Kantar that tells you how to find growth. Created in conjunction with Side Business School at Oxford University, the Future Proof podcast provides a unique perspective on what truly makes a difference. To understand what's winning in marketing, subscribe to Future Proof, a Kantar podcast now. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? 
For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Because they're a media company, they're a lifestyle brand in some cases, trying to connect people to this notion of living life to its to its ex- most extreme potentially so it's it's fascinating how they've taken this energy drink and extended it into other domains and i don't think they could have done that without you know your point of creating meaning in those other domains for people i agree and it shows how important it is to build a brand because what is red bull it's all about this lifestyle it's all about this perception of being adventurous and taking risks and that Red Bull gives you wings, even if they got sued for that tagline versus the drink itself. Nobody likes it. It doesn't taste good. It's all about the perception Red Bull created about the product. It actually tested very poorly early on in focus groups, in blind tests, with consumers saying, why would I pay to doing that thing that tastes like some like cough syrup or whatever you will buy from uh, the pharmacy when you're sick. And that's exactly the point. That's what makes it so attractive. Right. No, it's, it's so true. It tastes like medicine. It does. <laughs> <laughs> but it is funny because, yeah, I could totally, it, it would fail any taste test known to man. But as soon as you put, the, put it in a Red Bull can, you're willing to drink it. <laughs> exactly. So. Yeah. Well, um, well, you mentioned CrossFit, and I just want to talk about one more example here because in the book you mentioned it as well, and I'm pulling out things that are meaningful to myself mm-hmm. because I'm, I do CrossFit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> my whole family does, my 12-year-old daughter and my wife. And uh, I think you nailed it in the book talking about CrossFit and the notion of community because I've wondered, like, why do I keep doing this? And it's not cheap to go into a dirty building, lift crazy weights and do crazy things with a group of people, but it's the people that keep me coming back. And so I just, I don't know if you want to expound on that at all, but it, you nailed the community aspect. Yeah. All products and services, no matter if we look at something you buy from 7-Eleven or all the way to the Ritz-Carlton, all products and services are made of a functional aspect and an emotional benefit. And the functional aspect at CrossFit is you can lift weights. Well, great, but you can also invest $100 and buy a bunch of weights and have them in your garage. And those weights, they will last you for a lifetime. So those weights are exactly the same ones that you find at your CrossFit facility, which you just described to me as a dirty building. Right. (laughs) And that's important. The reason why you're willing to pay a steep premium to go to that workout because one month of membership at CrossFit will get you weights for the rest of your life in your garage is indeed because of this connection. It's indeed because of the experience. It's not even the workout. People think it's the workout, but it's not because you can Google workout plans. It's going to cost you nothing and come up with, you can lift weights on your own. You go there for this connection to the community. That's where meaning is important because it drives 
traffic, it drives a price premium. In this case, it's extremely steep and it drives retention. And that we all know in marketing is the holy grail just because in any business, whether it's Marriott Hotels with Scalton or 7-Eleven or CrossFit, it's always a lot cheaper to retain customers than to try acquiring new ones. Yeah, no, that's that's true. That's, that's so true. Well, I want to ask you, you know, you've written this book and I would encourage folks, listeners to, to buy a copy and read it for themselves. But are there any top recommendations you have for brands or for marketers that are leading those brands today? Yes, my top recommendations recommendation and, and that one is a is an exception it's a it's a one size fits all i mean it's it's a recommendation that applies to everyone is take a step back from these short-term metrics that everyone obsesses with take a step back listen to people and customers step out of your bubble and what i mean by this is in marketing and advertising in market research we tend to speak to people like ourselves. We tend to all read the same media, go to the same conferences and travel to the same places. So take a big step back, do some ethnographic research, understand the world around you, try to forget about your brand. I know this is hard, but try to forget about your brand for a weekend. Listen, 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 listen proactively. And from there, decide where you can take your brand. But stop the treadmill, and the treadmill is everyone in the industry running on that belt. Nobody knows where the stop button is. And that belt is spending more dollars, pushing more advertising, driving the KPIs in the short term, and not listening. Hmm. No, that's wise advice. Wise advice. Well, um, one thing I love to do is I want to switch gears a little bit and get to know you a little bit deeper. Um, which is I, I like to do with each guest that comes on the show. And I love this question, which is, there is there an experience of your past that defines and makes up who you are today? Yes, I think there are a couple of things. One, I'm lucky because I got to work in the UK. As you may guess by now, I was born in France and I've been living in the United States for 13 years. And that diversity of culture and the diversity of people I've met bring different perspectives and have made my life experience richer, more fulfilling, if you will. So I think that is really what makes the difference. And I'm often, in fact, every day I'm, I'm thankful to the United States for the opportunity it has given me to meet other people in different industries and in, in very different skill sets and learn from all of them. So that is what works for me. What I mean here is I like to joke, but it's not really a joke. If you want to make money, you don't get into advertising, marketing, or market research. You know, right, go and work right. for Goldman Sachs <laughs> or private equity, or that's where the money is, or become a, a senior partner at Pricewaterhouse and you'll be making double what any C-level executive makes at a market research agency. So the, the money is not the point. The point is the fulfillment, is meeting new people, being curious, learning new things constantly. Uh, I like that. And I'm proud to say that holds true. doesn't matter if you're six months out of school. 
In fact, it doesn't matter if you're an intern or if you're on your third, fourth, fifth, tenth book with 20 years experience in the industry. Got it. Got it. Well, obviously, if I were to ask you to give yourself, your younger self, advice, it sounds like it would be pursue fulfillment. Is there anything else that you would <laughs> advise your younger self to do? Yes. I think I would advise myself to listen proactively. And that is important today. That was important 15 years ago. And it's going to be even more so relevant in the next few years. So my point is technology is overwhelming. We have cell phones, we have digital media, social media. You get constantly interrupted and we lose as individuals the ability, the empathy to listen proactively to people. The story of multitasking is a complete myth. <laughs> Alan, you and I are having a conversation now. There is absolutely no way I could engage in this conversation with you while looking at Facebook, right? So, so the advice to my younger self and therefore the advice to our listeners is listen proactively, be present, put away the technology and focus on the moment and the conversation. That's also good advice. Well, what keeps you doing what you're doing? What drives you? I want to do a second book. That's what <laughs> <laughs> That's my plan over the holidays. It's to finalize the proposal for a second book. Look, seriously, it's what drives me is being curious, coming up with new ideas. I heard Philip Cutler yeah. on a podcast not so long ago saying something very important. He said... So Philip Kotler doesn't plan on retiring. Obviously, he's written 17 books and mm -hmm. he's of an advanced age. And he said, I like producing more so than I like consuming. So what's most fulfilling to me, listen, I, I like buying clothes and cars and things like this and going on nice vacations. But what is most fulfilling is uncovering new ideas, sharing these ideas with your listeners today, with yourself, Alan and inspiring me. I, I like to make a contribution to the world around me. Uh, I want to be humble about it. Of course, you know, I don't mean to say that I reinvent the wheel every morning, but that is what drives me. Got it. Got it. Yeah. I've had Phil Kotler on this show as well. And I'm guessing he, he was 83 when I interviewed him. And I think that was a year or so ago. Yeah. So he was, he's at least 84 now, I'm assuming. Uh, but, <laughs> right. but you're right. He is still as sharp as ever and producing content for sure. So I, yeah, no, I can see it. I can see it. Well, and, and you're working on your second book already. So that's awesome. Well, um, two last questions for you, a little bit more related to marketing. Are there brands or companies or causes that you follow or you think others should take notice of? More of a you know, personal note, I guess, or, or things that interest you. Yeah, you're right. So these days, I'm keen on following some smaller um, direct-to-consumer brands. Mm -hmm. And here's what I like about some of them. So I'll take one. And by the way, I have no affiliation with these people, but a company called The Farmer's Dog, and they sell pet food. And the way they do this is for a direct-to-consumer personalized experience whereby they know so much about your dog and uh, create those meal plans and so on and so forth. And so what's compelling to me is 
Number one, it's a new relationship between the brand and the customer. And what's compelling is they are going after a market that is not new by any means. Again, in marketing, too often we try to reinvent the wheel and we try to create new products to fulfill new needs. And the truth is that happens once every five years or once every seven years. So what's compelling and what I'm curious about is brands that go after huge guys with small budgets and are trying to disrupt markets that are very mature. So the farmer's dog is an example because they're going after the likes of Nestle Purina. And I don't know if you have pets, Alan, but I feel the last thing we need in the United States is another brand of kibbles, right? right? <laughs> or Casper Mattress is interesting too. Here again, because how many more mattress stores do we really need in the United States? And do you know anyone who wakes up in the morning daydreaming about, oh, if only there was a new brand of mattresses coming up in the US? So, <laughs> no, right? No one thinks that way. So I applaud their courage, if you will, their grit for going after markets that are, you would think, completely tapped out. And that's a long answer to a short question, but I follow those brands. I follow the likes of Quip, the toothbrush people. I follow the likes of Farmer's Dog, Casper. And then there are some brands that I follow because I'm curious, Rework being one. I think Rework illustrates the contrast between the strength of branding, the power of marketing, but also all its limitations. Right, right. No, for sure, for sure. Well, last question for you. What do you feel is the biggest either opportunity or threat to marketers or marketing? Oh, that's a good one. The biggest opportunity is also the biggest threat, and I think it's data. Mm. The reason why it's an opportunity is because we now have unprecedented access to technology, data collection, data itself, to create a customized experience. So... <laughs> 10 years ago, you'd want to sell toothpaste, you'd sell it through Costco and Sam's Club and Walmart, and that's the end of it. Today, you can engage in a one-on-one -on -one relationship with people, understand when do they brush their teeth and why, and what type of toothpaste they need. And that's how you end up selling charcoal, coconut-flavored toothpaste. So that's the good news. Limitation, though, is it's easy to become data rich and insights poor. So now that you have hundreds of millions of data points about your consumers and that you know more about them than their wife does, what do you do with this? It's easy to get distracted also to abuse this data and target people too much so that they end up being completely numbed and don't respond to anything we do. So data is it. Data is the biggest opportunity to deliver a personalized experience. And data is the biggest threat because that's how we can burn people out. I love it. Yeah, no, and I totally agree. And it's very topical right now too, as it relates to trust and transparency issues with the likes of a Facebook as an example. Indeed. So yeah, so it's, it is, it's a double-edged sword. That's a great one. That's a great one. Well, Emmanuel, Thank you so much for coming on the show. It's been enlightening. I've enjoyed it. Thank you, Alan. And thank you to our listeners today. Really, uh, this was a great chat. I hope it was valuable to you and everyone. And once again, I really appreciate 
the opportunity to come and speak with you today. Hi, it's Alan again. Marketing Today was created and produced by me with writing and editing by Kevin Greeley, social media support by Megan Woods, art and graphic design by Sarah Dell. If you're new to Marketing Today, please feel free to write us a review on iTunes or your favorite listening platform. Don't forget to subscribe and tell your friends and colleagues about the show. I love to hear from listeners and you can contact me at marketingtodaypodcast.com. There you'll also find complete show notes with links to anything we talk about on any episode. You can also search our archives. I'm Alan Hart, and this is Marketing Today. If you want to understand how marketing is changing and how that will affect your brand, you need Future Proof, the podcast from Kantar that tells you how to find growth. Created in conjunction with Side Business School at Oxford University, the Future Proof podcast provides a unique perspective on what truly makes a difference. To understand what's winning in marketing, subscribe to Future Proof, a Kantar podcast now.